with this verse, Exodus 23, verse 9. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Have you noticed how often in these chapters where God is laying out his will for his people, he reminds them of where they have come from, what he's done for them. The motivation for keeping his laws is not to earn his favor, as though his love for us depends on our obedience. Thankfully, that's not the case. Instead, our motivation for following his will is our thankful response for what he's done for us. Our obedience is to demonstrate a grateful recognition of God's merciful act of delivering us. As we did last time, I'm going to ask you to read chapters 23 and 24 of Exodus on your own. And I'll highlight a few of the verses and and comment on them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, let your word be a lamp to guide our way. Chapter 23, verse 10 begins a section with further instructions and applications of the third commandment regarding the Sabbath observance. Not only were they to have a Sabbath day, but also a Sabbath year. For six years, you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among you may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. There was a religious aspect of the Sabbath. By setting aside their work, they were able to give their attention to gathering with God's people around his word. But here we see that there was also an humanitarian aspect. By leaving their fields unused, they were providing for the poor, who were able to come in and pick what was growing wild. Have you noticed in these chapters how seamlessly the Lord moves between laws governing their worship life and laws governing their daily life. In the section covered in the last episode, the Lord began with sacred laws, then shifted to secular laws, and now in the verses in this episode, he shifts again to laws regarding their Sabbath and their religious festivals. But here, those religious laws and the community laws even appear side by side. The point is this. We are not to compartmentalize our life before God into sacred, what we do with our fellow Christians on Sunday morning, and secular, how we behave at the office or in the factory or in the classroom on Monday through Saturday. It's all part of our worship, all part of our living before God, living in thankful response to his love as we serve him and our neighbor. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 puts it this way, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Jumping to verse 14. Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. The Israelites had three great festivals. The first was Passover, which we discussed extensively in a previous episode. 
The other two were harvest festivals, one at the beginning of the harvest when they celebrated the first fruits of the grain harvest, and the other at the end of the harvest when they gathered in the last of the fruit and the olives. Verse 19 says, Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. The first half of that verse is easy enough. This is the second time in, in this section that the Lord asked that they bring an offering as part of their worship. The practice of bringing God our best and our first fruits, namely the very first part of the harvest, was to honor him as the giver of every good gift. When we bring offerings to the Lord, we are saying, Lord, we want you to know that we know that all our blessings come from you. Bringing the first part of the harvest was an act of trust. Lord, we put you first in our budgeting because we trust that you will provide us with all that we need. The opposite of that, bringing God our leftovers after we've purchased everything else that we need and want, says, well, God, this is what you're worth to me, leftovers. Or, God, I didn't really trust you to provide, so I had to wait with my offering until all my other expenses were covered. The second half of the verse, though, is a bit more puzzling and and even seems out of place. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Remember again, this This was a different time and place, and what seems strange to us may have made perfect sense to them. But a clue may have been found in recent archaeological discoveries that revealed that cooking a baby goat in its mother's milk was part of a Canaanite fertility festival. Now, if that's the case, then these words God is making clear here to us that his religious festivals were not to be confused with or mingled with pagan religious rites. The reason for such warnings would be painfully evident in Israel's later history. Verse 20. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. The immediate context here in these verses, I'm thinking of God says, my name is in him and pay attention to him, listen to what he says. Yes, that that immediate context. In the wider context of the books of Moses and all of Scripture, indicate that this angel is none other than the Lord himself. The message here, listen to him, reminds us of what God said at Jesus' transfiguration. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. What great comfort is ours knowing that God is not just a God up in heaven watching over us, but he walks with us on our journey. Some of you might remember the footprints plaque and and saying that was popular some years ago. Maybe it was somewhat overused and became a little trite, but it expressed a comforting truth, and that is that Jesus is with us always. His footprints are alongside us. And if ever there comes a time when he doesn't seem to be there and follow along with the footprints saying, 
that there's only one set of footprints? Well, that is because he is carrying us. What do we have to fear when he has promised, I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you? Verse 24. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God. The first commandment is foundational to all God's commandments. Lose this one and you've lost them all. Luther brings this out in the beginning of each of his explanations of the Ten Commandments with the words, We are to fear and love God. Verse 27. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. If you've ever been chased by a swarm of angry hornets, then this picture needs no explanation. God would fight for his people. He still does. After laying out the commandments and the regulations in chapters 20 to 23, the Lord does something stunning. He gives his people access to him. Chapter 24, picking it up at verse 4. Moses got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. The altar represented God's presence. The blood signified that Israel had access to God only after atonement, only after a payment for their sins had been made by the death of a substitute. Verse 8, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Blood is how the Israelites gained access to God. Some of the blood was splashed on the altar and some was sprinkled on the people. This was the blood of a sacrifice. Israel's life was protected from the wrath of God because a payment for their sins had been made by a substitute, that sacrifice. Verse 9, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, And the seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapsus azuli, as bright blue as the sky. Think, Think of a sapphire. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. Israel's representatives ate and drank with God. God also invites us to eat and drink with him. Jesus says to us, This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. We too have access to God through the blood. Not the blood of of bulls, but rather all those sacrifices. They, They merely pointed ahead. 
They were just signs that pointed to Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect life which made the payment for the sins of the whole world. This is my body for you, he says to us in that sacred meal. And oh, how we need it. We need this personal assurance from Jesus that he himself is the atoning sacrifice that has covered our sin and our guilt. The writer to the Hebrews encourages us, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that is, to go right into God's presence, how? By the blood of Jesus. So let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. All the Lord has said we will do, the Israelites said. The next time we hear them speak, they're asking Aaron to make a golden calf for them. Like the Israelites, how quickly we can turn away to other things. Oh, how we need this assurance of God's forgiveness. This assurance that one day we will see him face to face. And he will not condemn us, but will welcome us to a heavenly banquet where he will fill us with an indescribable joy, a joy that will never end. Next time, the Lord enters the tabernacle. That will be Exodus 25. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.